Welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building a better life. I am Zen Ashe. I am a coach, a conduit, and a catalyst who launches humanity into greatness by accelerating mindset changes and replacing limitations with possibilities. So today we're going to be talking about limitations being replaced with possibilities. The title of today's episode is Get a Clue, The Power of Ideas. And there's a quote that just popped into my head. I wish I could tell you who said it. So I guess when I put it in the show notes, I'll give credit to who said it. Um, but the quote went something like, there is nothing so powerful as an idea whose time has come. And so that's where I want to start today. You know, I feel that when it comes to the world we live in, the world we live in has been shaped and changed by ideas. People who got ideas and spoke on them, put them into action, created products and services from them. And I think as a self-development podcast that um, if you're not really thinking about the ideas you have, you know, I know that there are some entrepreneurs that um, actually take time to just think. <laughs> they think about their product. They have meetings where they discuss their product, how they can improve it because they want to be open to new ideas and, and ways that ideas can come to them to enhance what they're doing. So when I told you about this topic, what, what was what went through your head about the power of ideas? Um, just how powerful it is. I think that this topic more than anything kind of is the beginning to where everything starts. Just having that idea of I want to do this and then the creativity comes in behind it. I think ideas or having the idea is the most powerful thing that you can ever conjure. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. You know, um, it doesn't matter to me where you go in history. Every great change started with somebody who had an idea that was out of the norm. You know, everyone in society was going one way and then they had a thought, let's go the other way. Let's go that way. Um, and then that's where, that's where everything changed. You know, um, if we, um, I was thinking about the Protestant Reformation, you know, Martin Luther, was looking at the Catholic church says, I just disagree with all these things about the Catholic church. And he went further than just having the idea. He wrote it down and he nailed it on, you know, um, I think it was one of the <clears throat> gates of the biggest Catholic church and people read it. People were able to read his ideas and we ended up with the whole Protestant Reformation. The Catholic Church was all that existed. And then all of a sudden we've got, you know, Lutherans who came from Martin Luther and then Episcopalians and Baptists and all these other people, you know, non-denominational. We got all of these people and it started with one man with an idea that I dislike these things. I don't feel that they're in line with the Bible, you know, mm. and, and that one idea changed the whole history of Christianity, mm. you know? So that's just one example. What, what is an example that kind of came to your mind of like an idea that you think sparked like massive change and like the world was just never the same. A few, uh, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X and Rosa Parks, Rosa Parks, the idea that Rosa Parks said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to sit in the front of the bus. Maybe it might have been to I want to get off a little early. I don't want to drudge through all of this traffic on the bus. 
But the idea of saying, I want to sit in the front of the bus, uh, Mark, Martin Luther King saying, you know what? I know people are thinking it. I know people might feel it, but you, you know, we're humans too. We got to have our rights too. And, 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 and on the other end of that, Malcolm being like, you know what? Um, just because I'm born into slavery and, and, and poverty doesn't mean that I have to stay there and I can elevate the mindset of other African American people to think about their surroundings and not necessarily following the rules that were written down for you. I could think on my own. So those three individuals kind of, um, for me, you know, spark change with their ideas, just ideas that other people might have, but they weren't courageous enough to say or implement. Yeah, I agree. You know, I'm going to go back to each person. So, you know, Rosa Parks actually wasn't the first one mm-hmm. that uh, decided, hey, I'm not giving up my seat. Right. Um, she was actually the one that the NAACP felt was a good representative. She was married. Mm-hmm. You know, she was stable. She was a pillar of the community. And she was sitting actually in the front of the segregated section. So she had every right to sit there. But then when more white people came on, they were like, oh, you need to give your seat up and you need to stand. And she was like, no, I'm I'm, I'm too tired. I'm working all day. I'm Mm -hmm. sitting where I'm supposed to sit. I have the legal right to be here. I'm not moving. And that idea, that self-confidence that I'm going to do this and I don't really care about the consequences um, because I'm well within my rights to do what I'm doing, I think is a is a very powerful idea. And then, of course, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., not only did he have ideas mm. about, he took some of his ideas from movements that had happened before. He was inspired by Gandhi. He was inspired by, before that, Thoreau and Emerson, who started civil disobedience altogether. You know, um, it was either Thoreau or Emerson said, don't be a part of the machine, be a cog in the wheel that will stop the progress of the machine. So when the, when the gears are coming, it's going to hit you and stop mm. and it's going to be pushing, you know, you're going to be that friction. You're going to be that counterbalance where things just can't be business as usual because you are exercising your right as a citizen to say the laws, the policies are supposed to be in my benefit. And these are not. So I'm going to fight against it. And then Thoreau um, inspired Gandhi. Gandhi did his, you know, protests and walks and marches and hunger strikes. And then then you have, again, Martin Luther King Jr. saying, hey, OK, Malcolm X. Malcolm X. well, yeah, I'm going to get to Malcolm X. Oh, but bad. Martin Luther King Jr. Ha- saying, hey, I'm going to um, do nonviolent mm. protests and, and I'm going to train people to be able to take the abuse, you know, because, again, for his idea to work, he had to get some, he had to get some training because he couldn't just send people out there unprepared. You know, so ideas go along with, with implementation and having a strategic way of implementing them. And then, um, Malcolm X is an amazing example of the power of ideas. Cause, mm. you know, when I watched the movie with Denzel Washington, which is a masterpiece, <laughs> it's just a masterpiece. You know, I'm just, whoo, a masterpiece. Okay. But Denzel, who's playing Malcolm, He's in jail. Okay. So at this time, Malcolm X is a thug. He's a criminal. He's into white women. He, he's got this drifting, aimless life. And this brother comes up to him and says, Hey, you know, I want you to just read two words in the dictionary. Just read two words, read black, read white, and then come tell me what you think. And Malcolm X reads all the definitions for black and they're all negative. And he mm-hmm. reads all the definitions for white and they're all positive. And he goes to the man, he's like, what? Why is everything about black negative? Why is everything about white positive? And the guy says, well, it's programming. They want you to, every time you hear that word, 
think of yourself a certain way. Think of yourself as dark and threatening and, you know, hidden and something that's not supposed to be out in the open. You're supposed to be in the shadows. They want you to think of that yourself that way, but you don't have to think of yourself that way. You can think of yourself differently. You can educate yourself. You can go beyond the limitations. And that one idea that that man planted in his head totally transformed his life. He went on a different journey, a different path. And he went on a different path than Martin Luther King Jr. Cause he was like, by any means necessary, I know who I am. I should have the same rights to defend myself than any other person in this society has. And that was again, a, a new idea. One that a lot of people at that time were uncomfortable with. They wanted, they wanted Martin's path. But I'm going to just say this, Martin and Malcolm both got assassinated, you know, so the path of nonviolence wasn't, it didn't result in nonviolence for Martin Luther King and his followers. They got beaten, they got jailed, they got spat on, they got kicked. Um, so just having a powerful idea doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, negative consequences that come with it. It does mean that it has a possibility of changing your life and the lives of everybody around you. And, and speaking of along that path, you know, the Black Panther Party, you know, they decided, hey, we're going to provide for our own community. We're going to patrol our own community. We're going to provide breakfast, free breakfast for the kids in the community. That's where WIC came from. They provided free breakfast for all the kids in the community. You know, we're going to offer services in the community, free for the community. And, you know, that was a powerful idea it was an idea the government at the time didn't like, you know, cause it was, it was too much power being brought together, too many powerful influences being brought together and the people were thinking for themselves and the people were working together, you know, and speaking of too many powerful influences, when that has happened in the past, sometimes the establishment reacted by doing things like black wall street being burned down. You know, who, who, how, how dare these people think that their businesses can compete with ours? We'll show them, you know, so sometimes ideas can be very negative and very harmful and very devastating to the people around them. Cause we've talked about a lot of positive ideas, but the idea to burn black wall street, because you know, these black people are becoming wealthy. That was an idea. And that resulted in devastation that we're just beginning to hear about in the last few years, you know, a lot of people didn't know about it, including me. I didn't know about it till maybe six or seven years ago, something like that. Cause we weren't taught that in school. And that's a whole nother thing. I'm a teacher, mm -hmm. but I had to educate myself about a whole lot of things outside of the school system. Cause I wasn't taught a lot of things about black history, about black culture, about, um, black people who made a difference in right. school, right. you know, and that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> So why do you think that when we look at societies, we look at education, why do you think that there's so much suppression of ideas? Because the right idea can get people to uh, go against the system. I think that, you know, it, it just takes one person to say, you know what? I see what everybody else is doing, but what if there's another Op opportunity what what if there's another route that we can do what they want us to do but in our own lane and i think that the biggest thing that that people are afraid of is the right person coming out and saying well that's wrong because the right person can influence anybody to follow what what they feel might be the right or better path 
I think that, you know, when when you have people that think outside the box, it's uh, they don't have any limit. And I think that a lot of times, you know, they want to kind of keep you in a corner so that that way you don't you, you can't like like, for example, I think that this topic is is just so vital because the right idea spawns other things for you. Um, I didn't, when I was thinking about this topic in the shower, I was like, man, this is really a really, really good topic. And I want to kind of get outside of my box. I want to kind of be able to expand my knowledge. But I think back to not necessarily the idea of me sitting here, but the idea of creating your podcast, right? I think that it's, it's normal for people to say you work a regular job. Just stick to that, you know? Don't venture out. You're doing look. Look at all the great things that you've done as as an educator. I know that the student populace is down, but you can you can motivate the next brand of people instead of saying, you know what, you served your time. What have you learned in serving your time? How can you be different for yourself moving forward? And the idea that you that you came up with, you know what, I want to do this is frowned upon. So you get people that you know they they follow every they dot every. I, they cross every T, they follow that chain of command that, that the thought process is linear. And I think it, it brings about fear when that person who's powerful like that says, you know what? I want to do something else, something that, you know, college can't teach you, something that, you know, my parents never taught me to do. And that can be dangerous for, for anybody who dares to, to do that and bring people along. I, I agree with you on that. You know, um, some people feel so much safety in tradition. They feel, well, let's just do what our grandparents did and what our parents did. And, and, you know, let's just follow in that tradition. But, um, a, a guy that I follow on YouTube, his name is Myron Golden. Mm. And he says, you as an entrepreneur have to be ready for the next thing. He said, if you go back a little bit over a hundred years ago, our society was agricultural. Everybody had a farm. Everybody was raising cattle, raising crops, selling that. You know, you might take that crop and make bread out of it. You're a baker, or you might take that crop and, and, and sew something with it. You know, you're, you're weaving cloth. So you become a tailor or a seamstress. You're putting, you know, clothes together or you're selling the actual food itself or the meat, you know, from the, the cattle that you're raising on the land, you know, or you're building something on the land. You're building an actual structure. But everything was based around the land. That was everybody's job came off the land. Then we end up with factories. And then you have this massive movement of people going into a factory. And now they're not anywhere near a plant or cattle. They're putting together a car. You know, they're putting together um, machinery. They're putting together products and they're doing their little job, you know, Every day they're doing the same thing, eight hours. They're a little part of the process. We had the industrial revolution and schools were actually created during that time to train people to be on time, to follow rules, to do things in a certain systematic manner that there was one right answer and you needed to know that answer and, and memorize that answer. And that's really the way schools came along. And then we had, after the industrial age, we had what they call the information age. And that's where we had a lot of the internet 
um, come around and people were selling information. They were selling access to information, you know, being able to move information quickly, being able to get information quickly. And now we're in a whole different age, which is not really the information age, but it's like the adaptation age where people are getting apps to help them do different things and help them, you know, so we have all of these different connectivity apps. We have all these different people that are making money because they found a quicker, faster way to get it done, Mm -hmm. a more convenient way to get it done. So it's not really about information. It's about make, it's about adapting, adapting what we used to do into a better form, a more convenient form. And so basically Myron Golden was saying, if you were in, let's say the, the industrial age, but you were trying to live off the agricultural age, there were very limited opportunities for you because, because of machinery, they didn't need as many farmers. So if you're sitting there trying to be a farmer when they don't need you to be a farmer, you're going to struggle. If you're in the industrial age and everybody's moving on to the information age, you're going to have a problem because they don't need as many factory workers. They've got robots that have replaced you. There used to be switchboard operators sitting there connecting calls. You see them in some of the old movies. They're sitting there. Where do you want to call? Who do you want to speak to? And they're literally taking a wire and plugging it in. Now we have electronic switchboards to do that. There are no switchboard operators. That job has become obsolete. Mm. You know? There used to be people actually coding computers, physically code, like putting slot things in slots, physically doing it. You don't do that anymore. It's ones and zeros. You have a computer programmer and he could be programming all kinds of systems all over the world from one location, right. you know? So basically what he was trying to say is the person who has the idea that transforms society and moves it into the next stage They're the ones who are going to be the millionaire, the billionaire, you know what I'm saying? The Jeff Bezos, who's like, I'm going to make it really convenient to buy stuff. I'm going to have a whole place where you can buy anything. That was a new idea. You know, in fact, when, when Amazon was first um, proposed in business school, the business professor gave him an F and said it would never work. Nobody would ever Try to go to one place for everything. Why would you do that? There's specialized stores. You can't just take away specialization. It won't work. And he said, uh, watch me. And we watched him. <laughs> so the point that Myron Goldwyn was trying to make is ideas change the world. And if you want to be um, on the cusp and able to move forward. You got to be willing to change. You got to be willing to change your mindset and realize that whatever's happening. And he was talking about how things move faster. We were like a hundred years in the, in, in the agricultural rate. No, we were, no, he said we were thousands of years in the agricultural age. Then we were like a hundred years in the industrial age. And then we spent about 50 years in like the information age. And now we're in this new age and nobody knows how long it's going to last. Nobody knows what the next thing is, but there's going to be a next thing. And whoever has that idea is going to be the one who can dictate a lot of how that idea is rolled out. And people who are stuck in the past are going to be the ones sitting there. I hate the way it is. And now a good person can't get a walk. They're going to be sitting there whining and complaining about the good old days because the good old days have left them behind. And there's not a place for them if they're not willing to adapt if they're not willing to build their skills again, if they're not willing to inform themselves about this new paradigm, 
you know? So what are you thinking about like these shifts that I'm talking about and these ideas, how they're changing society and people are like, some people are on board, ready to go. And some people are just, they don't know what's happening. They're confused. They're angry. They're frustrated. They're, they're lost. Um, I want to circle back to what you said about that one person that gets the idea. Those are the guys that, first of all, it's just hard to have that mindset that says, I'm going to create an Amazon. I'm going to create a Facebook. I'm going to create a TikTok and Instagram and all of those type of programs and platforms because those guys, I think that people are always trying to catch those individuals, right? And so, and so here I am and here you are. We're trying to find a forge away in life. And it just gets difficult because they're on a different wavelength of thinking. I think that, that the idea to create these platforms and to, um, venture out into business, it, 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 it breaks, it breaks what people are conventionally used to because there's a, there's a period where, and, and, you know, I read up on Jeff Bezos and, and your Warren Buffett's and, um, the Zuckerberg's of the world and stuff like that. And sometimes they don't have the same beginnings that everybody else has. So somebody like me and somebody like you who has had to work a job, you 28 years, me going on eight, nine years to, to wake up one morning and say, well, I want to do this. It, um, it, it doesn't give credence to what we've done before. And it doesn't acknowledge the fact that there might be a struggle that you have to go. There will be a struggle that you have to go to go through rather, whether it be, Hey, you know, my own people are not supporting what I'm doing. Yeah. Or, how long will it take? I want to, I want to see the finish line before I jump in. Because if I, if I can't touch the finish line, then there's no guarantee that this will ever get off the ground. And that could slight what I want to do. But, but I have to kind of know the outcome of it. Because if I don't know the outcome, then, then just getting started might be, might be difficult to do. Or is it even worth it? And so I think that those people, you know, that, they get these ideas because, you know, the idea always seems easier when it's out. Like you're sitting there, you're like, man, this guy really made up an app where people are looking at pictures and and, you know, people are are making money off of posting certain pictures. And and, and you know, people are doing these funny things. The idea seems so much easier after it's been done. But, to you know, I mean, just I had the idea one year to to create my own app. And, you know, I said, you know what? I, I, I want people to direct to commerce or whatever it's called, like hit me directly instead of going through all these loops and stuff like that. And, and just the pushback you're given of, you know what? I don't know. You sure you want to do that? Or, or you hear, you know, people want, want the link to be readily available. They're not going to click, 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 do all of this. They're going, they want you to just kind of spoon feed them. And as simple as, Hey, I'm, I want to create an app and will you support that app? Um, I don't know if I'm off topic, but, but that's what came to mind when you said, um, what you just asked me is just the idea, 
the individual that has the idea is the person who is in a in a in a in a in a nutshell the person that walks through the door first and gets the arrows where everybody else is 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 you know oh he's done it now i can jump in and, and do right. it as well yeah it's it's that um you're right you you're totally right because the person that walks through the door first they get all the arrows they get all the what are you doing are you crazy mm-hmm. and you know well this worked fine why are you messing with it you know mm-hmm. and and they get all of that criticism and then <laughs> it's it, it reminds me of that nelly song you know um when when nelly's he says something like you know, the guy says, Hey, Nelly, can we get tickets to the next show? And he's like, Hell no, you for real? Now that I'm a big guy and I fly high, they want to know why I fly by because you were supporting me in the beginning. You were like, You were the one telling me I couldn't sing, I couldn't rap, mm-hmm. I couldn't. You were the one telling me all that. But now, you know, like, what is that saying? Now that I'm what? Now that I'm hot, they all on me. It's something like yeah. that. I'm saying it wrong, but it's you know, Mike Jones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mike Jones, you know, so it's it's that that whole thing of, you know, when you're big, you got a million friends, but when you were small, you couldn't get any support. You know what I'm saying? Um, it, it's it's just it's it is what it is. It, it's the it's just the nature of the game, I guess. You know, but um just the the whole ideas, all of these ideas, when we look at them and how they transform society. Um, and again, like I said, there is a positive, we're talking about the positives in business. Um, and I want to go to some other areas, but I also want to bring up the negatives, you know, so there are people who get the idea of, I have this exclusive patent on this medicine and I'm only charging $3 a pill, Mm. but I could charge $300 a pill because they got to have it. They're going to die without it. And they do. And sometimes later they end up you know, getting fined and sued and everything else, but sometimes they get away with it. So that's a, that's a horrible idea that some people have that they have used. And, and another horrible idea going back into history is actually the idea of whiteness. White is an idea. White is not a race. It's not an ethnicity. It's an idea. I remember I was uh, watching this historian and she was talking about how you know, in the 1800s, um, there was a time right around the Civil War, she said, that um, you had the blacks, the slaves, and you had the poor whites that were indentured. And they were, the poor whites and the slaves were actually coming together. And the plantation owners said, oh, we can't have that. We can't have that. That's not a good thing. Um, we need to divide them. And, you know, at that time, there was no concept of whiteness. Um, you identified yourself with your place of origin. You were English, you were Italian, you were, you know, uh, European, you were Swedish, you were whatever. And then the plantation owners basically said, you're white. No, I'm Swedish. I'm, I'm European. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm English. I'm, no, you're white. You're white and they're black and they're lower than you because they're black and you're higher than them because you're white. And, oh, I'm higher than them, but we're kind of in the same socioeconomic situation. I mean, they live in the same kind of house and I do. They have no rights like I do. No, 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 no. You're higher than them because you're white. And you should make sure that you stay higher than them because if you align yourself with them and with their struggles, 
then you're actually losing. You're actually giving up your superiority because you're white. And that was actually a way of the elite to stop the poor whites, or the poor groups that were all these different races and the black slaves from joining together and the black freed went too. And then we end up with white supremacy, protecting whiteness. Mm. You're protecting a concept that actually doesn't even exist. It's something somebody made up. But now we have this concept that's been spread all over the world during mostly during the time of slavery it gained popularity you know we had originally you had the black madonna you had most of the pictures of of jesus the coptic jesus and he looked very arabic brown skin curly hair and then you have the white blue-eyed blonde-haired jesus but he supposedly comes out of africa because actually the middle oh even speaking of that the Middle East, the term Middle East didn't actually exist. It was East Africa. That term was actually created because they said, we don't want all of these beautiful cultural things to be associated with Africa. We want to say that Africa is this backwards place full of savages that we had to go save them from themselves. So we're going to come up with another term. We're going to call it the Middle East. An idea. If you look where the Middle East is, it's Africa. Mm -hmm. that's where it is, but that's not what it's called. And so we have an idea that changes people's perception. And now they think in their head that the middle East is someplace other than Africa. And Africa is this other place where there's just tribes running around with bones through their noses and loincloths and they got no civilization and they're all in shacks and huts. And, you know, it's not the truth, you know, not the truth at all. So we've had some very negative ideas even now we have like people thinking that the closer to white you are, which again, white is a concept, the closer to white you are, the better you are. That started in America in slavery. You had the house slave and the field slave and you, they were put and pit against each other. So there would be animosity between the two. And even now colorism is a problem you know, in many places around the world, not just in America, bleaching creams make billions of dollars, you know, and it's, it's just crazy. People trying to change their skin, be lighter, you know, and they talk about it sometimes in acting, mm -hmm. you know, with, uh, the lighter skin, longer haired black women, sometimes getting more roles than the darker, you know, um, women, you know, um, so it's, it's kind of very interesting, very interesting. Um, these are all ideas, ideas of beauty that, you know, a, f a, a, f a little pointed nose, you know, is, is beautiful, but a full nose is not. But then you see people with full lips, right? And, and then there are women who don't have full lips that'll go pay and get some Botox stuck in their lips or lip fillers or whatever you call those things. I don't know because my lips are full naturally. So. You know, they'll go pay because they want to fit this new idea of beauty. They'll pay, pay to get bust, bust and butt implants because a curvaceous figure is now in vogue. Whereas it used to be, 
if you look like you were addicted to something and you were so thin that you could be, see all your bones, that used to be the end thing. You know, so what do you think about these ideas of beauty that seem to have changed and, and you know, these racist ideas that seem to be floating around that have had so much uh, impact? Um, I was with my wife the other day and, you know, First of all, you see it on TV all the time that the fairer skinned, uh, like you said, closer to white you are, the more successful you can be. Um, they don't like really darker skinned people on, on TV. I, I hear it all the time when when certain artists in the industry refer to the reason why they're not as successful as others. But I think that it's it's an idea that, you know, was passed down from slavery. Or passed up from slavery from generation. Like if you, the closer you are to the master, the more successful, the more you'll be liked, the more you'll be loved, and the easier your life will be. And it's just a a running idea that you know we have taken on in the 21st century. We've taken on like you know now, uh, biracial kids are in. Mm. And you know I use, I say all the time at work that even the blacks are Hispanic at work because mm-hmm. y- you see certain black kids and you could tell that they're black by their face and their features, but they have last names like Benitez and Ramirez and, and Ortiz. And then it brings the question, are you, are you mixed? You, you, you can't help but ask, are you mixed? And, and so I think that a lot of that narrative and a lot of that idea that, you know, if you're biracial, it's easier for you. Um, has infiltrated how we think, you know, now, you know, I'm married to a black woman, so I don't have any, uh, you know, biasness to what I'm saying, but you see it all the time. I mean, a lot of kids nowadays, biracial, white women in, in stores with, 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 with black kids, black kids got curly hair and blue eyes. And it's just, I think it's just the way of the world. I think that people, after hearing an idea so long, it becomes, sort of like what you're expected to do or what people expect of themselves. Like, you know what? I, I hear that it's easier for um black men if they're mixed. So, you know what? As a black man, I want to make it easier for my child. So I'm going to find me a fair skinned woman. You know, I, I'm going to dilute the blood a little bit so that that way my kids have a better life than I may have had. And so um I don't want to say it's tragic. I just think that, you know, as we evolve, you know, America's a melting pot. So you're going to, I kind of think it kind of echoes back to what we were talking about a couple of days ago, that if you get, if you venture out, if you've been to a place like California or a place like New York, every other, like it's like people are commute, they commune together. You, you know, you go to college with different people, you find love different places and, you know, people bear kids that are mixed. You know, you might go off, you might be from the rural South and then you go upstate or you go to someplace like D.C. and you see black people, but they're not black, American black. They're African black or they they might be mixed with Asian or they might. It's, it's just a like I think America's taken on the whole idea of we're a melting pot. And so you go to some of these places and, you know, it's it's strange to see black with black, white with white. Now it's black with white, white with Asian, Asian with European with with with, with you know. South American. It's just people's mixtures now are just out out of you know how do you how did you meet how do how do you get Asian people in Jamaica or Trinidad? 
I saw a Spanish lady the other day. She was working for the Metro bus and she looked like a Hispanic woman, but she had this island twang and I couldn't help but say, are you Spanish? Where, where are you from? And she was like, I'm from Trinidad. I was like, oh, and she was like, why? Well, I said, well, lady, you look, you look like you're Hispanic, but you sound like it is. So, I mean, I think that, um, people have just taken the idea that life might be better, um, with a mix or two. And it's just, you know, now it used to be a drop of black. Mm, made you you're black. black. Right. But now on, you know, some of these forms that you see students fill out, it's white, black, uh, Hawaiian, Pacific, whatever. Or, and mm-hmm. then it says, are you of Hispanic or non-Hispanic origin? And that right. has its own, it its has own its category. own category. Right. So it's right, just right, like right. now, now Spanish is just kind of taking over. Mm. So I don't know. And it's, speaking of Spanish taking over, both you and I are bilingual, which <laughs> the, the audience might not even notice. We both are bilingual completely. So um, it's it's that's a whole nother thing. I remember when I was on the border, you know, right right when I got out of college, I got this this job and I was doing sales and we did we basically moved around and we did sales. So I moved I was going like to Harlingen, McAllen and all mm. these little border towns. I don't even remember El Paso and just all these little border towns. And I was actually sent there because I was bilingual. Mm. You know, they wanted a diverse crew sent there, you know, and they wanted, here I am the black girl. And back then I had, I had braids. I had hair like really down my back and stuff. And so I'm going in and if they looked you know, like they spoke English. I would start speaking English to them. And if they were like looking at me, like, I don't understand what you're saying. Then I just switch over. And they were like, and so, oh, soy Dominicana or estás Dominicana. Or it's like, you know, I was like, something no. like that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, something like that. Something like that. Uh, you know, estás Puerto Rigueña, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. You know, I was like, yeah, okay. Something like that. <laughs> Yeah, so, but you know, it, and, and then it's, it's very interesting talking about ideas when they thought I wasn't, that I didn't speak the language. There was this, you know, posture, there was this defensiveness, this like, who is this gringa, you know, coming in my wherever, you know, and then as soon as I spoke in their tongue, it was like, ah, mm-hmm. you know, Mm-hmm. she's one of us mm-hmm. come here let me give you a hug i don't know your name come here come here you know let me i got some food in the back you know here you want something to eat you know it's like it's, it's like a totally it's like you know mm-hmm. and i'm thinking my gosh the doors that open when people's ideas about you change is amazing is amazing just language language being a door um, and, and that's a whole place where Americans are at a disadvantage. Cause if you go many other places in the world, the idea is that you're supposed to speak three, four, five languages. Yeah. Period. That you're not even educated if you can't speak three or four or five different languages. And there are kids coming over here from other places and they literally speak eight or 10 different languages, even though some of them are dialects. They, they're 12, they're 13, they're 14, 15. They speak eight or 10 different languages. And then, the Americans are like, speak English. Mm. Like this, the idea, the mindset is like, oh my gosh, why do you think like that? Why do you think that this America that's supposed to be a melting pot and you think that making America great again is supposed to be going back to English when English itself is a mixture of languages? You know, 
English was created from many languages, Latin being a base of it, Greek being a base of it. That's why we have such weird sounding words. Old English being a base of it. And then you have all the other parts of it. So literally English is like a mix of eight to 10 different languages. That's why there's so many Spanish cognates Mm. because of the Latin words that are in it. You know, you say familia, family, Mm -hmm. you know? Okay. So there are words in English and Spanish that are almost the same exact thing, you know? So ideas, you know, we have a whole political system built on ideas and those ideas have changed. What used to be conservative isn't always conservative anymore. We used to be liberal and always liberal anymore. You know, um, we look at wokeness, politically correctness. It used to be America was about freedom of speech. You know, the only things you couldn't do was put people in danger. You could not yell fire in a crowded, you know, theater. Couldn't do that. That's illegal because you're putting people in danger, but you had freedom of speech. But now the person, a person says the wrong thing and it might even be a fact. And we have this thing called cancellation where people just get canceled. They lose their jobs. They, they, you know, get all this backlash. And, and some of that is wokeness. And, and some of that is ridiculous. You know, people are so worried about feelings being hurt that they are, are sacrificing ideas. They're sacrificing history. You know, there's a whole big uproar about critical race theory and critical race theory is just the idea that the past of America has been racist. So when we look at the past and we look at laws created in the past, we need to realize that they came out of the motivation to protect white, wealthy, educated landowners. That's four. That the group that fit those four characteristics and everybody else was left out of that minorities, women, you know, people who weren't educated, poor whites, you know, everybody else was left out of that. And so when we look at laws from the past, that's what they were supposed to protect. And critical race theory says, Hey, let's just look at things and see that these laws redlining, you know, being an example were put in place to keep the elite at their level and keep everybody else below. And so now we want to get rid of some of these things, but now people are like, ah, it's going to make my son, my daughter feel bad if you read To Kill a Mockingbird in class. Mm. So we can't read a story about a black man being falsely accused because we're post-racial anyway. Race doesn't even matter in America anyway. You know, that's that was written in the 1930s, but nothing like that happens in 2022. Uh, no, that's not true. You know? So what do you think about this wokeness and politically correctness and all of this kind of let's protect everybody's feelings. Cause let's, let's, let's pretend we have no racism. Let's have this idea that America is exceptional and there's no racism and, uh, our past, our founding fathers were perfect. Even though all men are flawed, our founding fathers were perfect. What do you think about this? Um, around the time George Floyd um, was killed and they had the protesting and all of that, I said, you know, it, it's tough for us, but 
I said to myself, man, it is, it is tough for white people because I say that because some of them, some white people in their heart of hearts are not racist at all. They don't see race. They don't think race. They think, they think they're just as qualified as a black person is and vice versa. But when you see them out there protesting, it's almost like, I don't know. I, I don't buy it from you. And I said that, I said that to say it's tough for white people to prove that they are not racist because racism has been the fabric of America since the inception. So, um, and, 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 you know, granted, um, I say that, you know, just being delicate because one of my best friends is a white guy. We were roommates in Orlando. I was the best man in his wedding. He was the best man in my wedding. And, you know, People, you know, I know people were wondering when I went out there, who, who is this black guy? I mean, this is, this is Pennsylvania. This is, you know, it so much so that his, he has a, a house that he leases out and his tenant was asking me, Hey man, how's Texas? Hmm. And I could tell for him that around where he stays, it's not a lot of him and he was half white. But still out there, he's looked at as a black man. And I could tell he was like, he's itching like, you know what, man? I, I like, I, you know, I'm from here, but there's got to be more. Hmm. There's got to be more out there somewhere. And I could tell in this conversation that he was just kind of curious as to how Texas was and what we do at down here and how is it different. And it, it took me two seconds in a conversation. My wife was standing right next to me. It took me two seconds in a conversation and I kind of knew where he was going with it. Mm. So I kind of had to break it down like this and this and that. But I think that, you know, racism is a fabric that, you know, it, it just, it's just hard to, my father used to tell me all the time, if you go to school and you get five to six to seven degrees, you put yourself in a place where race doesn't matter because now, you are the captain of your uh, of your fate or however the poem goes. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so can't nobody tell you if you are a doctor and, and you're top and you have this degree and this degree that you're not educated and you can sit in those rooms and you could talk um, as if, you, you know, you uh, don't come from the hood. You could talk as if you're not a foreigner and nobody would ever think anything as long as you're educated. And I think that that idea that, you know, education pushes forward or or eliminates racism is, is a farce in itself. Racism is so deeply engraved that, you know, some people believe that the idea that um, the greatest ideas come from black men is just not true. And I think it, I think that's it's the counter that some of the greatest ideas that have ever graced America have come from us, have been. Um, we were just we've just been behind the eight ball so long that, you know, it, it, you can't buy that idea that it came from a black man. But racism is just one of those things where you could sit and talk about it all day long and never gets old. For some people, it's like, ah, you know, for me, I find myself sometimes like, man, you know what, I'm I'm. I'm not going to let you bind me by uh, what you feel it is. I, I can talk. I can speak. I'm educated. And so there's no door that I can't get into. But I just haven't hit the right, the wrong door yet. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I just think that racism is just it's so 
you could you could have been born in in the future and racism would would raise your blood pressure mm. it's it's one of those things where it never gets old it's like debating if it's if 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 this if we're rotating around the sun or the sun goes around the earth it's just one of those conversations that never gets old and so and and depending on the person that you're around they might not want to talk about it but it's one of those subject matters that um I don't think it'll ever die. You know, I love, I, I've said this many, many times. I will continue to say this probably until it changes. I have said, I feel so privileged to be living right now because I don't think there's any other time in history that is like now. And what mm. I mean by that is, let's just take 2020 to now, two years. In 2020, we saw a worldwide change, mm. climate change. We all were locked inside. We saw the whole climate shift. We saw the, 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 the skies get clearer, smog, you know, change. We saw the water, the, the lakes and the waterways get clearer. We saw all kinds of things happen in the climate. That's never happened before that I know of. We saw, like you said, with George Floyd, we saw worldwide protests that lasted for months Every day you turned on the TV, it was some protest going on somewhere and it lasted for months. I always thought, man, I missed out on the 60s. I missed out on the civil rights movement. No, I was right there. I was in so many, so many, so many, so many marches and get togethers and all kind of stuff, you know, um, because it was a chance to be a part of a movement to change things. And some things were changed in different cities. Um, you saw things you've never seen before. People, you know, having these zones that they took over, you know, and that they were like, nobody's coming in here, but these people. And it was just unprecedented. And then, so that's the, you got the civil rights movement going on. Then you have the unemployment. I never have seen, that's the closest to the Great Depression that I've ever seen, hmm. right? Where all these people lose their jobs. They lose, you know, all the things that they build up. But you saw a massive shift. People creating jobs for themselves. People mm -hmm. publishing books. People becoming even millionaires in quarantine. So we had this massive you know, change in the way that people worked, the, the way people thought about work, the way people thought about their time, you know, and we're still in that now. There are still people that are quitting in droves. They, what do they call it? The mass resignation or something like that. There's still <laughs> people doing that. There's quiet quitting where they're actually at work, but they're not doing what they did pre COVID, which is I'm going to work. I'm going to put in this extra time. They're not paying me for, I'm going to do all this extra that they're not paying me for. Um, you know, people, a lot of people aren't doing that anymore. They're doing exactly what they were paid. They're clocking out when their shift is over mm. and they're going home, you know? Yeah. Um, and so we had that shift. Then we saw, and this is the first time I've ever seen this. We saw people beg artists, please perform online for us. Please, you know, read from your book. I can't get to the library. I can't get anything online. Everything is sold out. Would you please, you know, read a, read a book to us, read a poem to us, do a concert, dance. You know, we saw these massive explosion of creativity we saw these uh verses come out where all these artists are coming on and tiny concert and all these i've never seen anything like that in the art community right. where people were begging please entertain us we're bored to death please right. please please entertain right. us and then 
we saw a lot of shift in relationships. Domestic violence shot through the roof during quarantine. Divorces shot through the roof after quarantine. And now in this period now, we see a lot of people with new ideas of, I would rather be single than be in a relationship. I would rather get divorced than stay married. I would rather change my thinking about what my worth is. It's not, I'm not going to define my worth on who loves me or whether I have a status. I am going to define my worth on myself. My own self-worth is going to finally be based on myself. And, you know, a lot of people are, um, upset. We have a lot of, you know, when Kevin Samuels was alive, he was speaking for a certain segment of mankind who felt these women were too presumptuous and too conceited and too out of touch. And now you have other people trying to fill in that gap. And then you have women saying, I'm just not going to date. I'm just not going to get in a relationship. I would rather be single than be treated badly. I would rather be single than be lonely in a relationship. I would rather be single than have someone that disrespects me or cheats or whatever. Um, and I think that all of these came out of ideas, the idea that we can change and we have to change the way people are being treated um, and protest what we see, what we saw on television, the idea that we can quit. We don't have to put up with this job. You know, the idea that women and men may need to change their roles. You know, maybe what happened in the past doesn't work anymore. You know, we're in a new society. Women have more choices. Um, they can support themselves. I feel, I, I, I say, I feel like I'm living in the Renaissance. Mm. I'm living in the Renaissance because in the Renaissance, you had this explosion. You, you, you had the dark ages where all this knowledge was suppressed. And then you had the Renaissance where all of a sudden you've got art and you've got science and you've got business and you've got people who are thinking new ideas about, you know, their personal rights. This to me is a Renaissance and getting people to say, okay, give yourself permission to think new thoughts, give yourself permission to explore books, explore your own goals, set new goals. You know what I'm saying? I want to be part of that. I want to be part of the move forward to say, Hey, it's the Renaissance. Don't let it pass you by. Don't be old. And your, your grandkids come to you and man, in 2020, 21, 22, what were you doing? Uh, I was watching TV, you know, you were watching TV. That, that's it i mean everything was going on there was this going on there was a, really that was going on oh oh really are you sure that was going yeah i think there's gonna be some people like that I, I think there's people that are just so oblivious they're just going about there every day they're not thinking and they're not they're not making any different moves they're just living their life getting up going to work coming home watching tv putting a tv dinner in the in the oven or in the microwave and that's it that's it. That's all they're doing. You know? So what do you think about living in this period of time where it seems like there's so many upheavals and people thinking new things, saying new things, doing new things. To me, it seems unprecedented. Do you agree? Or do you think that this has always been going on? And it's just, you I, know, I think, I think it's always been going on. I think that people have um, been given what they should do. And then you, it's, it's always those like every, every period in time where there was somebody who revolted, somebody who, um, 
was a millionaire in that time period, those were the outside of the box thinkers. Um, and I think that, you know, I think that as an educator, I used to tell myself, or I used to say to my kids, it's not my job to, um, push college for you until a kid came back and said, that's not, you know, you never know what you'll get until you find the experience. And I said, Ooh, that's deep. That's, I mean, I'll never again say that. But then I was watching TV the other day and a, and a white man broke it down. He said, listen, we preach that college is equal opportunity for everybody, but it's not. And I, I just think that every, every time period that comes about now, the the kids that are thinking outside the box, right? And I think it's it's one of those things where ideas that you come up with come up come from your situation. If you are, you know, poor, your mind is always like, how do I get out of this? How do I how do I make a better life for myself? And so, um, whether that be music, whether it be arts, whether it be starting your own business, I think that the best ideas come from when your back is against the wall. If you're tired of, of working a nine to five, if you, if you've seen your mom hustle, 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 and she never has time to be there for you, you get these ideas where it's just like, what can I do to make my situation better? And that's something that from generation to generation does not change. No matter what time period we're in, we got kids right now that just have you know, I sit and I listen to some of these kids talking. I'm just like, man, I tell my kids all the time. I joke with them. I say, listen, if you got a million dollar idea, I'm not to the point in my career and my age where a 38 year old man can't learn from a 14 year old. Right. Because I believe that, you know, I'm I'm going to right now. It, it don't it doesn't matter why you need to know math. You just learn the basics. And what when you learn the basics, you can soar. But you know, you have kids that just have beautiful ideas. And that, that's something that from generation to generation, like I said, will never change. People will always be forced to think outside the box based on their situation alone. I, I think that, you know, I think that it's a lot harder for people who have an easy life. Like I've thought to myself, man, why is it that I can't figure out how to make $250,000? Well, you know, I'm from a middle income family. Both of my parents worked and were gradu- and graduated. And so, you know, I didn't have the best of best, but I didn't ever want for nothing. And so sometimes that, that comfortability holds you back from just that million dollar idea. The people that, you know, make money and make millions, they have always, they've been just like, man, I'm tired. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I think you've said that one time. That I'm just so uncomfortable that I can't breathe. You said that one time. I'm so uncomfortable. I can't breathe. You know, I'm not moving forward and it just irks me. I got to find my way out of it. And, and boom, the best idea you've ever had, um, is birth. I, I agree with you on that. I, I, I do agree. Ideas come from so many places. I, I always say be open to intuition, mm. but also when you feel that stifling like I got to get out of here then figure a way to get out the first thing that comes to you might be the first step you take and it might lead to something else and that's something else we were talking about before we started this ideas they come in succession they come in pairs they come in triplets they come in in avalanche you know Mm -hmm. like 
So I had an idea to start performing because, you know, I needed a, I needed stress relief. And I really, it, writing down, journaling was great, but it, it got to a point where I was in so much stress. I needed something more. Started performing. That was the first idea. Then another person had an idea as they were watching me perform. They said, hey, can you create a show for me? Uh, yeah, never done it before, but you just gave me the idea. So mm. I guess I'm gonna figure it out, you know, so give me a month. I'm gonna figure it out. We're gonna get some ideas together. We're gonna get some people together. We're gonna figure it out. Um, created the show, Laughs and Lyrics. I'm actually wearing this shirt. That was four years ago in August, 2018. Spent that whole month getting the show together. The first show was September 7th. Then that led to all kind of connections, all kind of people I met, all kind of people with all kind of ideas, you know, ideas to do a blood drive. Well, no, we didn't do a blood. We did a, we did a school supply drive. We did a coat drive. We did a blanket drive. We did what else? We did mental health and awareness things. We did kind of a STD clinic where they had people come and give, uh, you know, the tests, you know, for all those things. I mean, we just did so many things uh, in conjunction with poetry, comedy, and music. We had a legal health clinic where we work with Pure Justice, and they came out and talked about, hey, if you want to see if you can get your case expunged, we're going to have this legal health clinic. Come do this, you know, and we'll have lawyers there to talk with you about your situation. You know, we did book signings. We did album releases. I mean, all of this. People were like, hey, I'd love to do this at your show. I'd love to do that at your show. How would you think about this? What do you think about that? All ideas. And then that led to a congressional award for activism. That led to when quarantine happened, people were like, hey, you have a great voice. You should do a podcast. Mm. That was somebody else's idea. That was not even my idea. Like, And I'm just trying to say this, the power of ideas, the power of ideas, Every idea doesn't have to come from you. It was somebody else's idea for me to do a show. Right. I just followed through. Mm. It was somebody else's idea for me to do a podcast. I just followed through. There was somebody on my comments emailing me. Well, several people. You keep talking about journaling. Can you teach me? That was somebody else's idea. I wasn't even thinking about writing a guy to journal. Yeah, I can. There you go. It's Energize Your Life Volume 1. And people were like, hey, why don't you have a poetry book? Where's your poetry book? You've been performing for how many years? You, you don't have a poetry book? I would like to buy it. I'll buy it. If you, make, if you make it, if you write it, I'll buy it. And then I'm sitting there putting a poetry book together. Then I have the idea, well, I want this to be more than a poetry book. I want this to be a memoir. And here you go. Mm -hmm. Then one of my readers, she had the idea of tabbing her book. To show all her reactions, she put pink for things that made her laugh, yellow for things that she had never thought of before, green for things she thought of, but nobody else had ever said, blue for things that made her mad, and orange for her favorite poems. You see all those tabs in there? Those were all her reactions. She gave me this book back and bought another one. Um, and speaking of ideas, this book also has how my mindset changed, how I got rid of limiting beliefs. It has all of the limiting beliefs that I got rid of in the last seven years. And that's a lot of them. There are 26 lessons in this book. And a lot of them are based on limiting beliefs that I got rid of. So you want to talk about the power of ideas. This is all about the power of ideas. It's about getting rid of those limitations and negative, the negative things you've been told, you know, and, and speaking of the power of ideas, um, 
two books I'm reading right now that I want to encourage you guys to read. One is Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. And it's about this idea that Napoleon Hill had. He was, in a sense, interviewing the devil. And this book was not even released during his lifetime because he thought and his family thought it would be so controversial. He would get death threats. He would, his books would get banned, all this kind of stuff. But it's the idea that the devil best can work with and destroy the lives of those who don't think. And those who think because they're not followers, because they actually go with their intuition and they are logical about what they're doing and they make choices based on what's best for them, that they are the ones that the devil basically can't touch, that he is hindered in their life just because of the power of thought, because of the power of ideas, because of the power of rational behavior based on your thoughts. And, and he also was talking about in this book that conditioning, making people limit their thoughts and close their minds is what a lot of churches and schools do. And by doing that, they limit people to a certain existence. And that's one of the reasons why they didn't want to publish the book. Another book that I was, I I just finished reading recently is called the tipping point by Malcolm Gladwell. Mm. And it's about what makes an idea go viral. And he says there are three things. One is the power of the few that there are people who are influential And they may be just 20% of the population, but they affect 80% of the population because what they say is popular, people follow. What they say is worth buying, people buy. What they say is worth doing, people do. And we call these celebrities, we call these actors, we call these thought leaders. Um, Some some of these happen to be politicians. You know, they have almost a cult-like following. But the point is the power of the few. The second thing he says is the idea has to have a stickiness factor. It has to stick in people's head. It has to be catchy. It has to be something memorable. So a lot of times the things that you see go viral, they're easy to describe they're easy to envision. They catch people's attention. There's a stickiness factor. And the third is what I started this, this episode off with the power of context, that it has to be the right time and place. If it's the right time and place, that power of context, and it has a stickiness factor and it is endorsed by a few people with influence, that thing goes viral. You know, um, one idea, can go viral and change everything after it. And so, you know, that's just, you know, those are two books I highly recommend, you know, we're talking about the power of ideas, the power of mindset. Um, so is there anything you want to say that kind of came to mind as we're kind of wrapping up this episode? Uh, the power of an idea is just, it's, it's like, it's like Genesis mm. and a Bible. It, it came first. Anything that anybody has ever done, like you said, was either given to them or they they thought of it themselves. But I think that the power of the idea idea itself, an idea or coming up with an idea is is first. And then everything else kind of just comes like you get one idea. And as soon as you see it and it works, then the next idea comes and it, it, it might be it might be derived by itself or it might come from what you started before. But it, it it always just, it's always the idea that comes first and then the footwork comes after that and get the book. It's a, <laughs> it's a great read. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, for those that are watching, I would love for you to subscribe to Zenergy. That's the podcast that you are watching now. It is on 25 streaming platforms. I do go live when I record most of my episodes. Um, so I normally am going live on Sunday nights. 
uh, like this is Sunday night. So the podcast is spelled Z-E-N-N-U-R-G-Y. Um, also, my books are on Amazon. This one is called Plenty of Guppies and Other Dating Misadventures. It's a poetry prose memoir. My guided journal is called Zenergize Your Life. And it is a guided journal. You work through it. It has 29 concepts and all kind of different activities to help boost your mindset, to help release stress, to help clarify your vision of your future, to help you goal set, to help you reflect on where you are and where you want to go. So it has a lot of different types of journal prompts and many other activities besides journal prompts. Um, and I want to thank you guys for joining us. We were talking about getting a clue, the power of ideas, and I hope you have a great week. May you walk in Zenergy. Have a great night. Zenashe, a newly divorced 43-year-old Southern woman, wanted a fresh start. She'd heard there were plenty of fish to choose from in the modern dating pond. What she discovered were plenty of guppies, exactly 101 of them. The result? A provocative, transparent, raw, and delightfully uncensored account of her experiences with the 101 men she encountered on her journey to find the one. In Plenty of Guppies, Zen spills all the tea on dating psychology, relationships, and self-discovery while giving readers a rare glimpse into the life of an award-winning artist and best-selling author. The book is an enlightening narrative that explores gender roles and identity outside of societal expectations. Zen has written a refreshingly mature modern-day epic of online dating, layering her personal story with erotic poetic verses and passionate prose that frame her journey toward rebuilding a life as a single woman and adjusting to both an empty nest and boomeranging children.